The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletical Physical Therapy and Art Van Furniture and Mattress. Hello again, everybody. Jeff Joniak along with Tom Thayer in another edition of Bears All Access. We're coming to you from PNC Studio at Hallis Hall as the Bears wrap up the Bourbonnet portion of their training camp and are now back in the building and ready to practice tomorrow. We are going to look at the Bears Centennial Scrapbook tonight with two Hall of Fame writers, the uh, great Don Pearson, now in retirement, enjoying himself, and the guy who's still working, Dan Pompey. Well, you know, you're nipping at his heels, but you're still churning out column inches. So way to go, fellas. Working just moments before I, I started this show, <laughs> as a matter of fact. No, we appreciate you coming to Hallis Hall as we uh, take a look at this book one more time. But before we do that, just a quick talk about training camp wrapping up and what was accomplished. You know, I think the it was more of accomplishing with expectations because last year you didn't know what the expectations were and you didn't know what you were going to accomplish because we didn't know a lot about Matt Nagy, his staff, and the way everything was going to kind of, you know, fit together. And then when you look at the end result, um, I think they went into training camp this year with as high as expectations as you guys were both here in 84, probably the highest expectation since 85. I agree with that. I don't remember any time it's been this high. I, I, I'm not sure it's, it was this high in 84, 85, I'm telling you. I, I, you really think it, so, oh, huh? It's, it's just off the charts, I think. Yeah, well, the fans who turned out uh, will verify that because the last practice on, uh, that was open to the public, almost 10,000 fans. So they drew very well over the course of training camp. What you, do you how think, many Dan? days were you there? A couple? Yeah. A couple yeah. days? Yeah. Well, yeah, what was your opinion? Well, you know, I thought the defense just looks outstanding. I mean, if it could be better than last year, it, it might have taken a step up. Now, you know, I think there's some areas where the depth is questionable, where you don't want to get injuries uh, because that could be a big, big deal. But, uh, boy, the starting unit just looks unbelievable. And I think, uh, you know, people were somewhat concerned about a drop-off with Vic Fangio being gone and, um, I, I don't see that as being a, a possibility. But, you know, Dan, the national media doesn't seem to be as hyped on the Bears as, you know, I, you listen to different shows, you, you see them and stuff, and it just their expectations aren't as much as us or the, the people that have come out to see the Bears or even the people that have been able to witness practices such as yourself. Well, you know, I think if you look at the team from a distance, you see, you know, uh, you see questions still about Mitch Trubisky, right? You see people having some skepticism whether or not he's going to be a quarterback who could win games for you consistently when he has to. Uh, you see an unsettled kicking situation. Uh, and then you wonder if the team can stay as healthy as it did last year because that was the healthiest Bears team that we've seen. And when was the last time you guys have seen a team, a Bears team, that healthy? Uh, you, you, can you no. think back that far? I mean, no, 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 long time, long yeah. time. You even think a Super Bowl, you lose Mike Brown and Tommy Harris. You well, know? they, they <laughs> were they were healthy before that point yeah. that that kind of got them there, right? Yeah. But then in the game itself, they were without their. Well, Don, the history that you've been around the NFL and Dan, are you okay with the modern day playing of in the preseason games? Because back in the day, you were covering starters in every preseason game. For seven games sometimes. Right. Can you imagine that? Half a season. It's ridiculous. And the, and the regulars are playing. Did, but, but, another back, thing, but back then, did you think it was well, ridiculous well, back, then? I'll tell you what. Back then, when they were playing seven games sometimes, these guys really were getting themselves in shape. Yeah. 
There weren't the OTAs. They, guys weren't working out all year. I, they were working separate jobs. So they would come into camp literally out of shape and have to get themselves in shape. So it wasn't that big a deal to play seven games. Well, seven games was a big deal because that's when they would play in the college all-star game. So, But six games, you know, that's a lot. Well, you know, and the other thing, Tom could speak to this. Guys are getting injured more today than they ever were back then, it seems like. Now, sometimes back then the injury, injuries were more catastrophic. You know, you had the, the injuries that ended careers, uh, it seemed, more frequently. But, boy, you, you see more, you know, soft tissue injuries now, it seems like, than ever before. You know what makes injuries nowadays in training camp catastrophic is when we went to training camp back in the 80s and stuff, you had an unlimited roster. So you were at training camp with 120, 130 guys guys at time. So if a guy got hurt, there's 10 guys standing behind him that eventually you're going to find one of them. Nowadays, there's 90 guys. 10 of those guys are going to be on a practice squad and then the rest of them, you know, it's it you just hope there isn't injuries because the they are catastrophic then. I would like to see the rosters expanded a little bit. I've got a question going back to when you're talking about the transition of uh, defensive coordinators. Yeah. You'll remember this, Tom, and I haven't seen this much about it, but when Buddy left in 1985 and Vince Tobin came in in 1986, the team, everybody loved Buddy, and everybody was worried about there's going to be a drop-off. And I remember the team, the defensive players saying, hey, look, we're going to play harder than we've ever played before. You know why? Because if there's a drop-off, Buddy's going to get all the credit. <laughs> no, seriously. And and the players, we want to show everybody that the players, I mean, I think the players today, if it's not public, I bet they're saying the same thing. They all love Vic. They love Vic Fangio. They live what he did. But if they have a drop-off, Vic's going to get all the credit. They you know, don't want Vic to get all the credit. <laughs> but, the, you know, they, that's the truth. Yeah, it is. What happened? You know, the, the guy's in important leadership roles. When you talk about Fensick and you talk about Singletary and Hampton and McMichael and it's the whole crew of guys. But, you know, there, there's similar leadership on this defense. You know, you got Danny Trevathan. And then you, you have what Khalil Mack has brought along and what Roquan is developing into and the influence of Keem Hicks on the, the entire defensive line. And so, the most underrated of all. Eddie Jackson. Right. But, you know, he's such a young guy. I know, it, but he's yeah. a loud voice in there. You would be surprised well, what those you know, guys think. He's he's um, had the best training camp of any, you know, one of all the defensive players. I think he's the, the he had the, one of the best training camps I've seen of a young guy rebounding from one year to the next. He got, he got Tom Thayer's uh, WBBM practice ball yes. for, for the entirety <laughs> of training camp. You could make a case for Prince Mugamar. You could make a case every snap for Khalil Mack, and you certainly can make a case for Oquan Smith. It is a name defense now. Across the board, you got guys on there that are top 100 players, used to be top 100 players. You got guys with uh, tremendous stats now coming out from last season, so it's a really a name defense requiring a nickname at some point, I would think. Right? You, you know, to me... The bigger issue, as opposed to uh, the, the defensive players uh, being motivated by the transition of defensive coordinators, is what kind of buttons is Pagano going to push on game day and in his game plans, and how is that going to be different? And that's something that we, we, really, we really don't know yet. We have no idea how I mean, you guys might have a little bit of a better idea from being able to observe up close and watching some of the tape for the practices. I think uh, it's going to be an aggressive unit, man. 
and I think they're going to love it. I think the players you know, are going to love it. You think of the personalities of the four defensive coordinators, Vic Fangio and Buddy Ryan. There's similarities between them, a little cantankerous in front of the media, and they're going to answer you not always the way you want to hear it, the way they want to say it. And we don't know a lot about Coach Pagano yet, how he's going to be at the podium on during the game weeks in the regular season. But Vince Tobin was a little bit um, – you know, he was a little bit mellower than than what Buddy Ryan was in the in the way he, you know, got into the faces of the players and stuff. One thing I think, though, one little difference is that, uh, you know, the players in 1986 and the Vince Tobin era, uh, you know, they were still loyal to Buddy. You know, yeah. they, they loved Buddy. And he was always going to be their guy, right? And Vince was kind of viewed as the outsider who never really was quite accepted the way that Buddy was. Pagano is already, I think, beloved oh, by yeah. these guys. I agree. And, you know, he, he's just, you can't not love that guy if you're playing for him. I mean, that's been his history. And that that's going to be a difference from what we're talking about in the 80s. Dan Pompey, Don Pearson joining us as we will now begin our look at the Centennial Scrapbook that they put together uh, over months and months of research. We've talked about it on several occasions with these gentlemen once uh, training camp with Dan Pompey, once in Decatur with Don Pearson, uh, and also at the 100 celebration. So a lot of discussion about it. Uh, it's a great book. Go and get it. Go to the Bears website. Buy it. It's great to have in your family to pass down through generations because it's all there. It's all encompassed uh, the 100-year history of the Chicago Bears. With Paul Zarang, our engineer, Jordan Treadup, our producer, this is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, with our guests, the Hall of Fame writers, Dan Pompey and Don Pearson. They authored the Centennial Scrapbook, which is going to be the bulk of our discussion here on this week's Bears All Access. And we're coming to you from PNC Studios at Hallis Hall. And every time we visit, I always say, okay, What's being talked about the book now, several weeks after we asked you these these questions before? So it's when people get it, they have their own opinions about, you know, where, for example, the player rankings are or they it jogs their memory about Tom brought up something the other day. And uh, we found out a little more about who was the the presenter for George Hallis at the Hall of Fame, Fame, which we we didn't know. I didn't know. Maybe you guys knew. Did you guys know? I know, but I'm not sure I could bring it up right now. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know why that would be the case, but Tom Thayer found out, and he's got the info. But it's it's stuff like that. I that do you're... know he wasn't there. The, the presenter. He was. He, George. George he Ellis was the Hall, there when he went into the Hall of Fame. The Bears were playing a. Oh, okay. A, a game, I think, in New Orleans, September seventh, nineteen sixty-three. Yeah. David Lawrence was his presenter, yeah. who was a politician. Of of um, um, advisor to Kennedy, I believe it was. Wow! It, I'll tell you what, it wasn't as big a deal in 1963 <laughs> as it is. But now. you know, if you think of probably most the most important inductee into the history of the Hall of Fame, it is George Hallis. You know, well, so I, that's a, he just I you know I was 
sitting there and I was just was curious. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, that was obviously the first year of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It'd be like if you started something today and said, yeah, we're going to give an award to somebody. Yeah. And, you know, it, it didn't have the recognition that it has now. Right. We didn't understand what the Pro Football Hall of Fame would come to represent at that point. So, uh, obviously, uh, if we did know, uh, they, they would have arranged it so that Hallis would have been there. And, right. and, it, and it would have been a you know, much bigger deal in his life. Well, uh, what he accomplished over the course of the rest of the time and what has happened since over these uh, many years is something else. And you guys captured it in uh, great detail. Uh, as you continue to think about what you guys accomplished here, what resonates with you about what you guys accomplished in putting this thing together? I, th- I think it's just to remind people uh, of the different aspects uh, that the Bears have, uh, of football that the Bears have touched throughout the years, and that's why we set it up in this structure. Nobody has rivalries like the Bears do. I mean, I, I had somebody who was reading it the other day, and they read the whole – I think he might have been a, a fan of that team up north, but he read the whole thing, was just fascinated by the – by remembering some of these uh, these old games, and nobody has the kind of the bear the Bears and the Cardinals are the oldest rivalry. Who have played the most games? The Bears and the Packers. Who played the second most games in the NFL? Bears and the Lions. No, uh, not everybody knows that. So, I, I I think just to remind people of 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 the impact that the Bears have had in so many and so many. Uh, uh, aspects uh, of the of the game. Well, and, and to Don's credit, with the rivalries, you know, we started out the book uh, not even thinking of highlighting the rivalries. And as Don started digging uh, with some of these things and looking at, well, uh, he said, you know, how can we ignore? You know, yeah, we were going to write about the Bears and the Packers, right? But then he said, well, how could we ignore the Bears and the Giants, the Bears and the Forty ers the Bears and the Redskins? Redskins, yeah. Uh, and you know, the the uh, section about the rivalries kept growing and growing and growing, and Don just kept digging further and further. Was there a lot left on the cutting room floor from the rivalry chapter then? Or did you pretty much get it all in? We we got as much in as I think we we wanted to. Uh, That that was remarkable about the book, I think, and it's to the credit of John Vaselli and the the designer and Mark Vansell, the producer, and Scott Hagel of the Bears to be able to accommodate us because – I'm not sure. We kept asking, how long do you want this story? How many pages is the book going to be? And it did seem to keep expanding. And, and they allowed, they, allowed they, for that they, to happen. Yeah, they hardly cut anything. We, so, kept, we kept waiting at the end to yeah, say, oh, yeah. yeah, half of your copy is on the floor. But uh, it didn't, it didn't yeah. happen that way. I mean, so you did a lot. So not a lot was left out. No. Period. Absolutely. No. absolutely I mean, could not. we have done more? Absolutely. You know, one of the things we talked about early on that we didn't do was a chapter on the broadcasters, for instance. I thought that would have been fascinating. You know, you look at the history of the Bears broadcasters going back. Uh, I mean, you've got a couple pretty good guys now. Uh, you know, <laughs> you go back uh, to, to the Wayne Larravee days. Uh, you know, Red Grange was a broadcaster for the Bears for many, many. You guys know the history probably yeah, better, than, Brickhouse, better than we do. Brickhouse and Cups in it. Um, George Connor for many years. So, you know, th- th- that was uh, something that we could have done. Uh, one of the things that, that we've we've uh, thought about, I think, since, too, you know, we did the top 100 players. We just did it in list form. Uh, Chicago Tribune's done a very good job, I've, I've thought, of uh, 
giving a biography of each player. That's something we could have. I mean, you know, you, you, there was you could have gone on and on. This book yeah. could have been an encyclopedia. I added up the words. Had we done a biography of everybody, it would have been the eighty thousand words we ended up with. Really, with a hundred <laughs> uh, players. So right, because you you just wouldn't be throwing statistics. You'd be yeah. digging to find out. Okay, a little bit more about each right. because that's in your nature. Both of you guys are right. storytellers. That that could be. That could be a, a, a second uh, a second printing, maybe, huh? We know another. Well, we hope we hope for a second printing. Uh, Matt Nagy said, "Yeah, if we do well, maybe you'll have an addendum." I said, "No, Matt, it won't be the end of the book. It'll be a new, new beginning." Yeah, and you know that's a funny story. Uh, we might be able to relate. Our our deadline, our soft deadline. Dan and I are not used to this. We're used to deadlines every single day, but was in the middle of last season. So a year ago in the summer. We looked around, we were we were talking, and we said, uh, what if the Bears go to the Super Bowl? And we, everybody laughed. So they win the division, and we email each other and say, hey, as we were saying, what if they yeah. win the Super Bowl? So we had to turn around and add stuff about the 2018 season. And I think we did a pretty good job of uh, highlighting that 2018 season and looking ahead. But, it, it, Go ahead. And even some of the chapters we had written uh, about the past, uh, we we found ways to kind of freshen them up or tie them into uh, something that was happening currently with the team or a current player, if there was a way to work work that player in. But you brought up Nagy, because it interests me, is when you look at some of the other organizations around the NFL and have a shorter history of the Bears, they have an unbelievable amount of head coaches. The Bears don't have that many head coaches. Did you ever think about ranking the head the head coaches for the Bears? And if you did, is there an obvious number one? And if George Hallis is the obvious number one, who would be number two? Well, it'd be the obvious one, two, two, three. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The obvious number Hallis, two would Ditka, be Ditka, yeah. Lovey. Yeah, right. Uh, that's. All right. Well, well, wasn't <laughs> I, I, where I was, an argument? Wasn't Pat, was Patty Driscoll? Because was he a good head coach or? Well, he well, was only a head coach for two years, Tom. So he he wouldn't have, you know, Hallis took three. He 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 retired three different times and appointed interim coaches. So after Hallis and Ditka and, and Lovey, it would have been pretty pretty tough to to get to ten. I think. Does it surprise you though? There's so few head coaches in the history of the, well, of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, when you have one guy that did 40 of the 100 years, and he hasn't been around for 40 years, yeah, it's it's probably not as surprising to you know to think that they didn't have as many. You compare it to the Cardinals, the team across town, and they they had probably more ex-Bear head coaches than the Bears had. Yeah, they, they, had like they kept tapping that well. 37 yeah. in their yeah. career. They yeah. kept tapping that well yeah. with Chicago ties. Right. Uh, to uh, Dick McCann, Hall of Fame award-winning writers, Dan Pompey, Don Pearson, our guest today as we look at the Bears Centennial Scrapbook. We'll take another break here on Bears All Access. It's brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. The Chicago Bears Network presents Inside the Bears, brought to you by Verizon. Anthony Adams and Lawrence Greeden cover the world of Bears football on and off the field every Sunday night at 10.35 p.m. on Fox 32 Chicago or watch anytime at chicagobears.com or on the Bears official app. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer with engineer Paul Zerang and producer Jordan Treadup. Joined by our guests today, kind enough to come in, Dan Pompey and Don Pearson, who authored the Centennial Scrapbook that is now available for purchase. Uh, many have already been uh, purchased, but you can check it out 
on ChicagoBears.com. That's the way to get it. And uh, hopefully uh, it's the only way to get it. The only, well, <laughs> the only way to get it and uh, get it, your piece of Bears history. Uh, there's so much in there that uh, you're going to enjoy from uh, just the, the, the way these guys tell the story. It's not chronological. And we talked about that. I think that's a significant part of this book because you could easily have done it that way. But the way it's paired with uh, the day-to-day historical impact of life in general in this world, I think, ties it all together very nicely. And then you can tie groups of players together very nicely. And I think that also played well in the actual 100-year celebration in Rosemont in June when we had groups of players together. I I, I was taken by a couple things that happened there that – and you can read the book to find out more about these guys. But well, when Eddie Jackson was sitting in the safety seminar, as we had the, the roundtable discussion we had with Doug Plank and Mike Brown, you know, is a young, hip guy looking at these guys tell stories. And he was just, he, go, he just kept looking like, wow, did that really happen? Did Doug Plank hit people that way all the time? And <laughs> Mike Brown's emotion, the tears, I mean, that those are things that, left an impression on a young guy like Eddie Jackson. You know, Jeff, what's what's interesting is the Bears have got all this great history, you know, 100 years of history. They've got more history than uh, any – more good history than any team in the NFL probably. Uh, and a lot of it's just kind of been forgotten about, right? And, and this, this year, this book, uh, this celebration – has been, I think, a great opportunity to go back into that history and uh, to examine a lot of these things and, and to, you know, wake up the echoes of the past. And it, it was really surprising to me. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be <laughs> at my age. I, I actually got to talk to Red Grange. I didn't get. I didn't cover him, <laughs> but I did get to talk to him uh, in his retirement in, in Florida, which is one of the highlights uh, of, of my career. But it's, it was astonishing to me how many people. Not only had forgotten about the Red Grange tour in 1925 and 26, they never knew about it at all. They they didn't know it happened. That this was one of the great things that got, or one of the things that got uh, pro football on the map, because college football was where it was at. Yeah, pro football was sort of people looked down on on, on pro football players as something that was uh, sort of beneath the dignity of. Hmm. Uh, Why do you of think that is? Part of it was because, you know, the, the, these these teams, including the the Decatur Staleys, there were a lot of hard scrabble industrial teams. They uh, they hired players that were still had college eligibility. In some cases, they had high school players. It just didn't feel uh, right. Yeah, right. It was just the aura of college football was supposed to be pure and. You know, alma mater, that sort of thing. Isn't that one of the elements George Hallis didn't want anybody to sign a player until after their college eligibility was up? It was probably one of the things that college coaches of this era would agree with with George Hallis from the beginning. Yeah, that that was one of He said that was one of his proudest accomplishments after the Red Grange, uh, after they did sign Red Grange, after his eligibility was done. But that being said, he did end up signing a guy actually from Notre Dame, Tom, (laughs) <laughs> we got kicked out of school for being married. So he got kicked off the team, and Hallis signed him. And Hallis got fined. He said, well, wait a minute. He got kicked off the team. And they said, no, he's supposed to graduate. And Hallis said, okay, then fine me. So he, he agreed with the concept. He, he was always pretty good about 
pushing that rule. Yeah, find, pushing you know, those rules. Maybe instituting a rule and That's finding a way to get around it. <laughs> well, you know, it kind of goes back when I signed in the USFL and George Allen was my head coach. He said, look, don't say anything until the day we announce you because we want to make a splash in the NFL. So it was a little bit of George Hallis rubbing off on George Allen when went through the same process. No yes. doubt. Yeah. I think a lot of Hallis rubbed off on a lot of people, yeah. let me tell you. First Lady of the National Football League, Virginia McCaskey. You guys, uh, a big reason this book is as in-depth as it is because you have an unbelievable resource right there. And we've talked about her and her ability to reflect and do so accurately with wit and sharpness. I mean, how great was that sit-down with her? Well, I think that that's the main reason the book is, is really unique, I think. We, we didn't unearth... Uh, any any new ground and then find out that the Bears have actually won 10 championships instead of nine or anything like that. We didn't, all of this history has been reported before. We put it in a different context, a different structure. But the thing that really was different is to have a Virginia Hallis McCaskey's voice throughout and to think that she was actually on the Red Grange tour when she was only three years old. She doesn't remember it, but she's been told about it. And to have her voice throughout uh, the book, uh, probably more than she would like, but as much as we could get in there, I think makes the book very unique. You know, going back to what I said at the top of the segment, too, about how so much of the history uh, has kind of been forgotten about, um, I think Don and I uh, figured out as we've gone, if, as we went through the process, that we had kind of forgotten about a lot of this stuff. And as we did our research and did our interviews, you know, we kind of had our memories jogged a little bit. The interesting thing is she had not forgotten any of it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she remembered every bit of it. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Did you ever reintroduce her to who a player or a topic that maybe just rekindled a memory and hurt? memory bank? Boy, we were talking uh, once, and, and I don't remember one time saying, I've, I completely forgot that, or that really slipped my mind. Did you? Now, there were things that she didn't know about that she never knew about, because I, I'll tell you what, her dad was a very secretive guy. He, he <laughs> kept his family in the dark on a lot of issues. So there are a lot of things she didn't know about, but anything that she knew about, she remembered. For instance, yeah, George Hellis, I think, almost had two there were two sides of George Hales, two personalities. Uh, we asked her about his salty language, you know, which he is well known for. And she said, well, he never spoke that way around the house. <laughs> <laughs> he had one way of speaking at work and another way of speaking at home. And and that's kind of how I think he treated a lot of things with his business. He he separated uh, the business from the home life. What did you learn about her love of the game? Well... You, I think you saw at the Bears uh, convention when they asked her about the memories of her dad, it's, it's hard for her to put into words what her love of the game uh, means to her and her family. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of sports teams talk about a family atmosphere or keeping it in the family. The Bears, I think, are probably the most uh, sincerely... Uh, uh, legit have the most sincerely legitimate claim to be in a family organization. It was difficult for her to express, I think, how important it was. Although, you know, she said, hey, money, what What did she say? Money, what would money mean? Uh means nothing. It's the legacy. So I, I, I would you agree, Dan? I, th- I think the, the bears to her, that's her life. That's her life. That, that's, yeah, it's her. It's her mark. But I think 
you know, the other thing that, that I wasn't aware of is that for many, many years, uh, I think until the time her father stopped coaching, uh, after every time the Bears lost, she cried. She would cry after every game, every, every loss. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think she does it much anymore, but you guys probably uh, have witnessed a, f- a few times, I'll bet. Well, you know, I, I have not witnessed tears, but you know what the loss meant. You could see it on her face because you get on the team bus and you first place you go to is her when they win or lose. And you can it's 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 heartbreaking when they lose when they win. Big smile. That's that's the essence right there. But yeah, her seriousness has never lessened about the love of the game and the love of the Bears. And, you know, sometimes different family members that can have an effect on you, but not her. This is Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy here from PNC Studios at Hallis Hall. We're going to take another break. Dan Pompey, Don Pearson with us on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Kick off the Bears' 100th season at the Miller Lite Chicago Bears Black Party, Saturday, August 31st in Logan Square. Open from noon to 10 p.m. and free for all ages. Enjoy activities including food, alumni autographs, photo opportunities, and music from Lovely the Band and more. This is the kickoff of the season that uh, is a memorable one in National Football League history. Certainly one for the Bears. They hope it's more memorable than just that. Ending in Miami with a Super Bowl win and appearance uh, as this uh, season begins. And these things like block parties to kick off a season or a concert on a, a Wednesday or Thursday night before a Thursday night season opener. When you talk about the and on page 270 of the Bears scrapbook, uh, more than playing a game, they molded a sport, inventing positions and formations and strategies. So that was the building blocks. But now look what's been built and look at the different aspects of things. You could even, we just talked about it before we started the show tonight, uh, hard knocks. All these elements. If the man was sitting right here on this show with us and he saw all of this happening, we always talk about this. What would be going through his mind? George House. Well, he, he, I'm sure he'd be amazed, but the first thing that comes to my mind, he'd be thinking ahead. That's what he'd be doing. Hmm. He wouldn't be looking behind and saying, look what we've done. Because I remember when he, when he talked about uh, uh, the advent of television, and he couldn't, he couldn't believe that at first uh, the network, it probably wasn't a network, but uh, the TV would pay the, bear, uh, would pay the Bears uh, and he said, I can't believe they're, what, they're paying us to do this? You know, I, but he, but he worried about the impact that, 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 uh, television would have on the gate, for example. So he was always looking ahead. It didn't affect the gate. It may from time to time, depending on the, the, the city you're talking about, but it did allow for almost all of this. When you think about it, the yeah. TV money is, is critical. Another thing I think he would, uh, he would be concerned about as the bears are and all the national football league is the, is the future of of the sport as far as safety is concerned. I think, uh, he would take it very seriously. Uh, he would probably at the, as, as his daughter is at the forefront of the looking at, at the concussion issue. And I I think Hallis would have been right there. You know, with George Hallis chapter five, you said, what makes a bear? If he was sitting here and he said, this is my definition of what makes a bear. From the conclusion that you guys came up with, um, is what makes a bear different than what makes any player from any other team? I think so. I really do. I think there's something unique and special about being a Chicago Bear. And uh, 
I think you can define it by looking at the great players in history, which is what we tried to do in that in that chapter you're referring to. I think uh, so many of them brought something that was uh, special and unique and defining. I mean, you were a Miami Dolphin, Tom. Right. What was different about being a Chicago Bear? There's only one important guy in Miami. And everybody in Chicago, when I was playing for the Bears, everybody was equally as important. In Miami, it was one guy, and that was Dan Marino. What about the history? I mean, did you feel the history and the you know the uh, the lineage, the you know the, the baton being passed from year to year and generation to generation? The only history I felt when I was down there was how often they talked about them beating the Bears in '85, and it was it was their that was their biggest victory, other than probably the Super Bowl win of '72 when they finished their undefeated season. It was that was the one benchmark that they had up until that point that was the most important win. In their, in their, I'm saying when you were a bear, did you feel those things, the, the tradition and the... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know, too, as you know, growing up here, you kind of grew up with the tra- tradition because you never had the opportunity to change the channel and watch a different game. You were going to watch the Bears no matter if they were good or bad. So I think that's what built the tradition of the Bears is when you were a Bears fan, you were a Bears fan for life. I think because George Halas was around for that long, uh, the thread that goes through the the, the time of the, the the founding and the two-way players and the, all the championships and the monsters of the midway right up until the modern day uh, because of, of of Ditka's influence is the toughness. The two-way players were tough. The, the, they have this defensive mentality. They've always had this defensive mentality. And I think that toughness is, is what I know every National Football League is, is tough but and would say that we're all, everybody every football player by definition has to be tough but i think the bears have that that there's something about a, the bears and their 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 history that uh uh underscores that in 82 you said there was a reporter that asked Hallis if he was crazy for hiring Ditka. no yeah. see now see now well i, I didn't want, i didn't want to say <laughs> I that mean, word i oh, didn't want, I, I just um, looked at that it was on the front I, page it was on the front page see now who was the reporter and was it a well was it a well-respected reporter it a, that it was a very well-respected reporter named Bill Gleason? Oh yeah, and he oh, yeah. and George Alice didn't get along at all. Wow. Gleason was a Cardinal fan, but he knew about the Bears. He he covered the Bears, and it was a sincere question. Wow! And he wasn't the only one thinking it, because when when he hired Ditka, people thought, "What is he hiring a special teams coach, who's never had any head coaching experience?" And he and and plus. Alice had usurped Jim Fink's power at the time and, and, had, and had fired Neil Armstrong and, and, and hired all on his own. Hmm. It, it was actually a very legitimate question. Oh, yeah. It was at the time. We were, the rest of us were probably afraid to ask. But did, did you guys know the personality of Mike Ditka before he came here as a head coach? Did you know like that that's the way he was going to represent himself? We'd seen him throw a lot of clipboards down in Dallas, if right. that's what you mean. Sure. <laughs> right. I, I would yeah. say, you know, the, the hiring of Mike Ditka in 82, and, and Dan, maybe you'd uh, agree or disagree with this, probably was perceived similarly to the hiring of uh, uh, Kingsbury in Arizona this year. Everyone th- thought, what are you doing? You know, why are you hiring that guy? It, it, everyone around the league uh, – do you recall similarly? Yeah, I, I, I don't think there. I don't remember anybody in the league saying, "Oh, I, you know, that doesn't surprise me that he would hire Mike Ditka." People thought, "Oh boy, 
what's he got in, what what's he gotten himself in for? Well, he knew. He knew what he was getting himself in for. Don Pearson, Dan Pompey, our guest here on Bears Hall Access. It's brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Back to the toughness thing because that that's something that the family wants, this organization to play with a toughness. And it it is all through its history. And it's, you know, the first person you're going to think of as tough is obviously Dick Butkus. You, you, you're going to remember Walter Payton. And whether it's the young people now knowing about them because they can punch it up on YouTube if they never got to see them play. But if you go deeper into it, uh, you guys wrote about Ed Sprinkle called the meanest man in pro football by Collier's magazine in 1950. Uh, so it, 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 it's way back there too. Oh yeah. You know, there's others that we can talk about. Oh yeah. We'd go back to George, Doug Atkins. Yeah. We'd go back to George Trafton and these guys that, that, that played, uh, you know, the Bears had the last guy that played without a helmet, Dick Plasman. Mm-hmm. And he ran into the wall in Wrigley Field one time, and Virginia McCaskey was there, and they carted him out, and Virginia said, I thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. And he went to the hospital. <laughs> and and the she ho- had a crush on him, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the hospital and came back and played uh, later in the season. They ended up, you know, he played without a helmet. I mean, how many guys? And so is it any surprise to you that the last guy in the National Football League to play without a helmet is a bear? Mm. You know, I, I thought the uh, at the 100-year celebration, the, the seminar that you guys did with the defensive linemen, uh, was really interesting too when you talk about this toughness and how it's uh, kind of woven into the yeah. fabric of being a bear. You know, so you had Akeem Hicks there, and you know he's learning things from guys of previous generations, and they learn things from previous. You, it went all the way back. You know, the oldest guy there was was Ed Obradovich, and uh, you know he obviously bef- befriended uh, Hampton and McMichael. Uh, during their playing days, and even before that, you know, Jim Osborne. And, uh, I mean, every generation has another guy who kind of <clears throat> takes the b- baton and passes yeah. it to the next and guy. And he does. He is now free to play with the ferocity of which he does, even in practice. And that's a treat for a Bears fan to watch. And it's only going to get better if, as they continue to keep on climbing this mountain, trying to get to the Super Bowl here in 2019. This is brought to you by IGS Energy at Chicago's Sports Radio 670. The score and Bears All Access. Joniak, Thayer, Pompey, and Pearson with you. Coming back after this break. One more segment to go here on Bears All Access this evening. With Tom Thayer, I'm Jeff Joniak, Dan Pompey, and Don Pearson, the Hall of Fame writers that put together the Centennial Scrapbook, a, a book that includes a piece of Bears history when you buy it. An authentic Bears 100 uniform patch. It's embedded in the front cover. It's a good-looking book. The dust jacket also doubles as a fold-out poster. There's a clear pocket in the back. You can add your own piece of Bears history, and everybody's got it. Anytime you go anywhere, I've heard of the training camp. Hey, I've had tickets in my family for this many decades. This my 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 grandfather, you know, took me to my first game. It's all there. It is about family. This is a Bears family. Tom's family huddled by that radio, listening to our broadcasts, just as they did watching him at Soldier Field play for the Bears. Uh, we can talk a lot about all the great players that you guys ranked. George Hallis as a player, what don't we know about him? If you if you didn't think he even played the game. And you only know of him as a coach or the owner. What about him as a player? Well, how many people remember he was the most valuable player in a Rose Bowl in 1919? I did not Be- know that. Before he became, I mean, he's the MVP in the Rose Bowl. He was playing for the, for the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the uh, Great Lakes team that played in the Rose Bowl uh, during the uh, 
First World War. So you know what kind of a player he was before he even became a, a, a Staley or a Bear. Uh, and the only thing he ever talked about himself as a player was when he uh, recovered a fumble and uh, ran 98 yards Jim and Thorpe. Jim Thorpe was chasing him. That's really the only time he bragged him about mm-hmm. himself as a player. But he was a heck of a player and, of course, a two-way player and, and at end. And I think he might be he might be on that top 100 players the first end that we ranked because <laughs> the Bears don't have a stellar history of uh, of receivers. Yeah, I think uh, the other thing to point out, too, is that uh, he was all decade in the 1920s, uh, which which says something. You know, I mean, that people don't even think of him as a player. You think of him strictly as a coach and as an owner and as an innovator. And, he, you know, he did so many things in that arena that kind of overshadowed probably what he did as a player. But uh, certainly uh, that was a part of it, too. And that record uh, for the 98-yard uh, fumble return was one that stood for, uh, I believe, something like 50 years. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, an incredible record. And if when, you, when you wonder where the toughness may have come from, that's something we, we, it goes without saying. I mean, he loved talking about the fights he would get in. He got into a knockdown, drag-out fight with his best friend, Patty Driscoll, when Driscoll was playing for the Cardinals. You know, they had to separate him. So he, he was the first of the tough play. But you know that that's kind of the history of the toughness of the Bears. It kind of is related to your head coach and what they bring. You know, George Hallis brought it to his era, Dick brought it to our era, and you had it match the toughness that he committed himself to in the league. And I think that's important for the history of the Bears is that George was the toughest guy around the league. And when you talk about the making of a bear, you know, toughness always precluded what else you're going to say about him is he needed a tough guy just like Ditka did. And you remember, Dan, when uh, Virginia McCaskey was talking uh, about re- more recent history and the changes that she uh, made or, or uh, agreed to. And one of the things she said was that, you know, I that toughness was missing. She said, I thought the toughness was missing. So. Right. She's been very aware of it from well, the beginning. Then, then it had to be a good relationship between Finks and Ditka. I, I because Jim Finks, he's always, you know, known as a. It was a working relationship. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. but it, it had to be respectful because Jim Finks was producing players that Ditka was able to coach and mold and and eventually develop. Well, he he, only, he had two drafts for Ditka, the last two drafts, 82-83. I think Jim Finks was, uh, he was loyal to the McCaskey family. Uh, and so he, he stuck around out of respect for the McCaskey family and really saved the Bears, and the McCaskeys would agree that, saved the Bears because they were going down a rabbit hole there uh, for a while until Jim Finks rescued them. Signed 20 starters that played in the Super Bowl. the 85 team. But Twenty is crazy. Twenty. I mean, they kind of don't. You think they both kind of had a hand in the development of the toughness because Ditka had a major influence on the players, but Finks was able to bring players that that kind of fell into the line of Coach Ditka what what he wanted. Oh yeah, his. I I think that uh, the 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 record, the drafting record of Jim Finks and and uh, his scouts Jim Palmer and. Uh, Bill Tobin is really unprecedented during the draft era. I mean, Hallis before the draft used to be able to sign just about anybody he wanted to, but once you had the draft, it was supposed to it was supposed to even things out. And in the early days of the draft, Hallis 
still got the guys. You know, after they won the 73 to nothing, they had like the, the third pick in the draft or the second pick in the draft uh, three days later. I mean, he knew how to find players and, and, and tough players. And, and Fink's, no doubt, that that string of draft choices that Fink's made is really unprecedented. What you worried about, Walter Payton? Statue going up outside Soldier Field, uh, much like George Hallis, uh Number one on the list. Yeah, it, it's hard to say much about Walter that hasn't been said already uh, because he meant uh, so much to the team. I think uh, one of the things that uh, Don and I talked about was when we were putting together the list of the top 100 Bears, I think we both kind of knew Walter would be number one, right? But we were looking for a little confirmation. And, uh, you know, we, we noted that Mike Ditka always said that Walter Payton was the greatest Bear. And then we asked Virginia McCaskey, and she said the same thing. She said to me, "Walter was number one." So uh, I guess there did was, you go one? No to, did you go one to a hundred or a hundred to one? Ooh, great question. Uh, one to hundred. Yeah, it was it was one to hundred. Yeah. And and the, the the top ones weren't as difficult as the bottom twenty five because we've said there uh, of the hundred, we thought all hundred deserved to be on that list, but there are probably twenty other guys that deserve to be on that list too. All right. Did we we got a we got a run? But did you keep rearranging? Or yes. When you got a number, yeah. or you stuck with it. No, we'd we'll no. probably change it again. <laughs> yeah, if we, a lot if we could, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we only scratched the surface of the book. Clearly, it's uh, cover to cover. It's it's beautiful. Number one, great photos, great documents from scouting reports to all the different stuff that Min Hallis uh, collected uh, and her scrapbook, which was the genesis of this particular title of this book, uh, the, the 100-year uh, scrapbook history of the Chicago Bears, penned by the Hall of Fame authors Dan Pompey and Don Pearson. Thanks so much for joining us. We could uh, have spent a few more hours talking about all the great history and, and Bears history. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Our pleasure. Got to say condolences to the family of Daryl Drake, Bears wide receivers coach for nine years here. Uh, he was great to all of us, great to me. I couldn't tell you how many stories late at night here in this building over coffee I had with uh, that man uh, passed away uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, current Steelers wide receivers coach. Condolences to Daryl Drake. For Tom Thayer, Paul Zeranger, engineer, and Jordan Treadup. And for Don and Dan, I'm Jeff Joniak. That'll do it for us tonight on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on ChicagoBears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.